Welcome, everybody, to the 51st edition of the Light Shed Podcast. I'm Brandon Ross, along with Walter Pysik and the esteemed Richard S. Greenfield. Good. The sounds I guess of 1986. No, still the morning. The sounds of 1986. <laughs> I think that I think that came out a little before 1986, but um, it may have come I out guess, before. But it's certainly uh, kind of a Spotify theme song. says 1983 to be specific. It's just kind of an 86 theme song, though, in a in a way. Yeah, I think it's a this year theme song. Why? Being home. <laughs> When did Wall Street? When enough. did Wall Street come out? When did that move? When was that movie released? Eighty four, I think. Look it up, Rich. Nineteen eighty seven. Eighty seven. Oh, okay. Nineteen eighty seven. So I fucking I nailed, wrong. The, nailed the year. Mets in eighty six. Wall, Wall Street, Street, the movie. 87. Well, how does it feel now, Walt, to be a Mets fan? I think you saw on open, well, their opening day, because obviously the opening series was canceled because of COVID. The Mm -hmm. Nationals had a COVID outbreak. So we're still dealing with that a little bit in sports. But, um, you know, DeGrom was cruising after seven innings, had an RBI, which is kind of my background today. And Louis Rojas. Many pitches? To How many pitches him. has he thrown at that point? Seven, it was 77 pitches. I'm still, I'm still learning that the um, the members of the team's names. Um, obviously, I know DeGrom, the guy, was a machine. I don't yep. think I really need to learn what the manager's name is because he's not based be on that long. decision <laughs> of yanking DeGrom with 77 pitches, I'm guessing that he will not last long as the manager of the Mets. That was ridiculous. For him yep. to make that move. Well, now you know what it's like to be a Mets fan. It's just one calamity after another. We thought that now that we're in the uh, the Stevie Cohen era, things would get better, but the cloud still hangs over us. Let's hope um, Louis Rojas is gone in short order, as I'm who's, sure. Who's, you, who's Louis Rojas? He he's the manager. Oh, the guy that. <laughs> that was I don't the need, best. I don't need to, that I don't was need to absolutely learn his name. amazing. I don't need to learn his name because he should be gone. So. Please fire him, Brandon. Any any wedding any wedding locations identified yet? I mean, I, I know you've no. survived the snowmobile accident, so <laughs> we're uh, we're actually going to look at some places in the Hudson Valley this weekend. Um, so I'm destination actually... is out. We're, we're, we're no no we're no. The no. Desti- destination is not out. We're we're pursuing two tracks um, because <laughs> this is a dual track wedding. Yeah, we're aiming to to do it this year. Um, which is very difficult. It seems the only date that's available this year is September 11th. And every venue on, in the entire country has September 11th available. And well, well you know, Brandon, there's, a, there, there's just a few people who had their weddings delayed and may have shifted dates over the next year. So yeah, you know, just it's a not few. terribly surprising that you're having trouble finding a date. But I want to come back to this destination thing. So Lois um, is okay with a destination wedding where a lot of her friends won't be able to come. <laughs> I mean, what's the, what's the story on that? That does not seem like that's going to go over well. She, she says she just wants me to be happy. It's, it's oh, a very oh, diplomatic version of Lois, which is a little bit different than when my brother got married and she was all up in it. It turns out my brother got married in Colorado, which possible is is where we do it um and she wasn't loving that but this time around she's um she she seems to be fine with it i think she's just like 
please have a child and whatever expedites that I'm willing to play ball with. <laughs> uh, well, talking about playing ball, um, let's come back to the Mets for a second, because it was actually ratings wise, people are actually watching. Yeah. Um, so we have a couple of tweets here, one from, Andrew Marchand, SNY says the Mets opener had the most viewers for a first game in the network's history. And then the Yes Network tweeted out, Yes sets TV and streaming records on Thursday. So local baseball in New York um, is back. Obviously, um, it's, it's a new era for, for the Mets. And I think a lot of Mets fans and newly converted Mets fans are extremely excited about it. Sort of goes back to the, if you build it, they will come feel the dreams. Um, uh, How does that quote, pertain to the Yankees? So I was actually, so I, I agree with you on the Mets. It seems yeah. obvious that um, the new ownership of the Mets is going to build excitement. To me, it seems kind of like when Terrell Owens was brought onto the Eagles and there was that anticipation of what could be a great season but how does that transfer to the Yankees? Like, is there anything really exciting or different? No. I mean, they're a good team, I'm sure. But why would they That's be a setting good point. records? That's a Maybe good it's point. The fans. It's like, interesting, though, because remember the first last season in the delayed start to the season, the first game of the season, like opening day, did actually very, very well in the ratings. And then they just fell off a fucking cliff after that. So it remains to be seen. Um what happens? Although overall sports ratings are doing better than they were during the height of the pandemic and the height of Trump, I shall say. But if you pull that slide up, um, Rich, pull that back up because we actually had a third yep. tweet there. Uh, hold on. Slow trigger finger. Don't don't ever get in a duel, Rich. It's okay. I got it. Oh, you will sorry. lose. There you go. Um, there's one from Sports Media Watch where it says nearly 17 million viewers for Baylor Gonzaga last night. It was the second least watched title game mm. on record ahead of only Villanova, Michigan in 18. And um, but it was easily the most watched non-football sporting event since last year's cancellations. And I know that the final four was broadly um, pretty poor numbers overall yeah i mean it's sort of like a glass half full tweet right like it's like it's not terrible but it's still like the underlying problems aren't going away that's right i mean look i think if ucla had made it to the final the ratings would have been higher but um but it was still the ucla loss was an amazing game you would have thought that would build up um interest maybe it's the 9 20 start time i hate to do it it's like a personal issue that i have but like these baseball games are starting at seven like 9 20 is a ridiculous time to start a game Especially well, during a pandemic. It's been, are, it's been 920, you know, kind you. of for a long time. And don't forget that UCLA played in the final four and the final four ratings broadly were crappy down from 19. Hmm. I mean, so, that game, that lack game was of fans, amazing. Maybe, I know you I mean, baseball, you had, you know, the, the, the images of Texas Stadium were just amazing. Final four was just like no fans. The excitement wasn't there. I mean, they tried to hype it up with a couple of game winners in a couple of these games. I mean, again, I thought that UCLA game was was awesome to watch from start to finish, but um, I don't know. So we'll see. I mean, maybe lack of fans is still having an impact, and we'll see what happens. What's the rule at City Field? The rule is, I think it's either 20 or 25%. I forget which one it, one it is, but somewhere in that uh 
general it varies by stadium. And the reality is like, if you're having this much of discrepancy where in Texas they're packing it and in the Northeast, they're not, I mean, there is an advantage. There's no doubt. There's an advantage to having fans in a stadium. There's been studies in terms of how um, umpires or referees even call games when they have fans yelling at them or like gasping if a bad, you know, a bad play happens. So look to TV is sorry. Sports is entertainment, right? Like we watch for entertainment purposes. There's definitely competitive, but like it's entertainment. And when the entertainment isn't as interesting to the point of like no fans, it certainly well, has an impact. Because like react, it's there's reaction in sports, yeah. right? It's and just, so that, that, that definitely brings atmosphere. So we'll, we'll say, right? Baseball stadiums are going to ramp up. We'll have, you know, packed football stadiums, hopefully well, in well, the look, fall. I, ESPN did their sort of upfront for advertisers this week. And, you know, oh the God, SEC that commercial was terrible, by the way. Sure. But we had, you know, but with the <laughs> SEC, no, but we had the SEC on Lightshed Live earlier in the year or, or like uh, last year. And, you know, the, the intention is, is for college football to be full stadiums on campus for the fall. I mean, at least that's what they're saying. I mean, look, <laughs> we'll see where COVID stands. If everyone gets their shots, hopefully that is the case. Right. I mean, yeah. we're seeing. It's awesome for fall seeing concerts um, being announced. There's like three, four night indoor runs at the Beacon Theater in September. Um, Other indoor arena tours that I've seen announced. So I think the expectation is that we're going to really be back to normal in the fall. And let's just we'll see how that, you know, translates to TV ratings and everything else. I can't wait. I can't I'll wait be, to I'll go be, to the Giants. Yeah, I, I, yeah, exactly. I want to go to the link. the The Eagles are playing the Raiders this year in Vegas. In Vegas, we know game, you're so going to be there, Walt. Hundred percent. I would <laughs> go to nice? you to that. I would go with you to that game, Walt. Not invited. Not <laughs> I wouldn't root for you, but okay. Uh, good luck. Because there's going to be a bunch of Eagles fans there. We're going to travel well. You're going to be among Eagles and and Raiders fans in what your Giants jerseys. Good luck yeah, with that. I'm not totally. helping you out on that. Well, Brandon, go ahead. Walt, being a New York resident, you don't actually have to go to Vegas to bet on the Eagles anymore because New York finally, after Do I now, oh that's yes, uh, after a lot of bullshit, <laughs> is legalizing um, sports betting. So here's I will read the um, the tweet from Sports Handle. It says New York full story on the state of mobile sports betting legalization in NYS. What we do know it's happening and what we don't know yet, the exact nature of it, but four plus online skins at this point appears to be part of the plan. Well, since and this that's, tweet that's came two out, casinos, right? That's two casinos with two skins each. Um, no. So the way as I've read the bill and I, tried to get through it. It's a lot of mumbo jumbo and a lot of uncertainty and vague pieces in it. It sounds like there's going to be um, two companies, um, two um, operators that will have will come to the table with a group of skins that they select and they will bid or a lot of operators will bid right but the two operators will be selected they will come with a group of skins that are what do you that mean by skin? can you define what that bid. is so a, a skin would would be the actual sports book so DraftKings, bet 365 mm-hmm. the consumer facing um 
piece of it, but, right? But four companies already have gotten primary skins, I thought, in New York. I think my belief is that is now out the window because each of those primaries were partnered, were just partnered with casinos. There's a separate bidding process. And what's interesting about it is you're bidding on your tax rate as one as one of the things. So your group is basically financially incentivized to bid the most, you know, the highest tax rate that you can withstand profitably. Sounds if, like a great business model for the sports betting platforms. Well, I mean, what's scary about it is every, everyone's on. So who can survive well on the shortest margin? Exactly. So that sounds awesome. Right. So if this works in New York state and actually there's a robust market, do all the other states just say, you know, fuck it, let's follow New York state's model. Right. And have the operators or the, the sports books bid on how much taxes they're yeah, going to pay. But, but, and then but, but, but let me just. A, yeah, but hold on, Brandon. Business. But hold on. If if everybody is basically bidding and has very little margin, that makes it very hard for these companies then to actually offer aggressive incentives to the consumer. So it ends that up being all less has to be right. That all has to be. But this is why I'm unsure whether or not it's going to work, right? Because there is first of all, you want it. You want as much advertising as possible for a variety of reasons. One of which customers. is to educate yeah. and new customers who aren't betters, you know, and, and to make the market as big as possible. And you're probably going to disincentivize that under this model. I'm not sure, this, I'm not sure said, the state really cares about that. And they're the ones who are going to make the, the well, rules. there's an elasticity element to it, right? I don't think so they care like about you, that. you tax high versus taxing lower and having a bigger pool. Right. And my point is, I don't think that's how, um, politicians or state legislators think think about it yeah they don't think they don't have that level of of acumen <clears throat> so so nor even do they necessarily company- nor do they necessarily want the hassle of complaints that they're going to get if the marketing gets too aggressive to their constituency and then there's you know gambling issues that they have to deal with on the on the flip side like we'll say okay good it's tax revenue like, let's just get the most that we can. It's short-sighted in thinking, so we'll see. Well, it was Cuomo specifically who seems to be well, short-sighted okay. because the both the Assembly and the State Senate and their representatives in this wanted a model that was fully open at a reasonable tax rate to try and build as robust of a market as possible. But, but New York is not the only state that's done this. I mean, what is it? New Hampshire has done this New York is the model? only state that's done it in this manner where you're bidding um, on your tax rate. If you look at New Hampshire, I believe DraftKings, they had, uh, they said, okay, we're going to charge 51%. And there was bidding for licenses, which DraftKings won, and they're the exclusive operator in New Hampshire. But the market, if if you look at it in, in those states, is less robust on a per population basis. So obviously competition is helpful in making the market as big as possible. Brandon, one might also argue that the state legislators that didn't support something that maximizes the tax rate, um, you might look into who their donations are coming from in terms of of, their argument. Of course. (laughs) There's lobbying in politics? (laughs) What? Um, But but Brandon, but, but it's probably fair to say that 
the smaller companies, like if you have to think about who's going to benefit the most from this, it's going to be the most well-financed sports yeah. books who yeah. are going to come in yeah. to help the to, no, to help make this I happen. I think ultimately, like under you know this type of model, um, you're probably going to squeeze out the lower competitors and get to that sports betting oligopoly that we've talked about for a long time. The other thing that I wanted to discuss with regard to this is who the beneficiaries are going to be of sports betting being legalized in New York in general, right? And we we were pretty harsh on MSGE and MSGN following that deal um, that that they did a couple of weeks ago, but they both jamming did, cable, did, did jamming dying cable networks in with live entertainment assets sounds awesome. Nonetheless, um, they're both going to benefit um, pretty significantly, probably from um, from uh, the sports betting legalization in New York, especially since there's going to be at least four skins and some competition. So you'll see a lot of extra sponsorship. You'll probably see a sports book in the arena, which obviously isn't going to have kiosks that's not allowed by the law, but we'll probably just have like iPad set up where people can bet. And um, just, I don't uh, know, just and obviously make it better, make it right. digital. Right. The, the only thing so I push stupid. back on is, but the only thing I push back on, you probably won't see as much advertising on the MSG network as if you had a competitive landscape where you had 15 companies advertising, of you're going to have a smaller of number. Of course, of course, it's going to be less than it was. Right. Um, so the it's positive. It's just less positive. Outcome would have been to have like twenty, you know, twenty-five different sports books uh, competing. Um, but I still, it's New York. It's a strategic yep. market. It's why there's going to be bidding. It's going to be the biggest for the rights in general. It's going to be the biggest sports betting market in the country, probably fifteen billion dollars. Um, so there's going to be advertising benefits. Um, that but let's talk for. about who this is probably not good for, which is our good friends over at Fubo, who are trying to launch a sports book um, later this year. Hasn't even launched yet. They've gotten the street all pumped up trying to talk about it. But it's hard to believe if you're only going to have four skins in all of New York State, it's hard to believe that a company that hasn't even launched anywhere in the country. By the way, could be could be more than four because each of the operators will come with however you know, many skins they bring to the table. They're probably incentivized to make it less, to make it more profitable for those who, you know, do. But yeah, Fubo's not getting a look. (laughs) Right, which, you know, just sort of, to me, it's sort of like this continued spin that we're seeing with Fubo. So I'm going to try to not screw up the pronunciation of this, but the other release out of Fubo this week was stream the Cutter World Cup 2020 qualifiers. Very good. Quote unquote, exclusively on Fubo TV. Uh, the, the problem with the word exclusive here is that it's separated from the word stream. And what we've learned over the last uh, 24 hours is that just like in all prior World Cup qualifiers, that you're going to be able to watch all of these matches. They've always been available on pay-per-view on Comcast and Charter and DirecTV. And it's, it's actually how most people who care about these, these early matches watch because there's not a lot of games. It's certainly, I think we've got seven weeks left over the next nine months. Yep. It's not a lot of matches. And so most people just do it who really care. They either go to a bar to watch, 
because um, there's a separate bar deal for all of these, or they do it on pay-per-view. But the idea that someone's going to start dropping their Comcast or DirecTV service and rushing over to Fubo so that they can get some World Cup qualifying matches from South America. Now, remember, this is not even Mexico. This is not Caribbean, you know, Dominican what? Republic. This is just it's just South. Oh, America. This is just South America. What you what you will get. Right. There's a, a couple of places that they will pull subs. They're going to pull some subs out of this. Right. Sure. There's two places. One is if you are, I don't know, Peruvian or you absolutely know, right? you're Peruvian and you've been on sling and you've had the sling international package. That's right. You might switch over. Which, yeah. Which doesn't have the, the soccer rights anymore. And you're going VMVPD to VMVPD, right? Number two, if you're a real soccer fan, because they have been, and they are yeah, among you the probably VMVPDs. already were on BN, but, but if you cared about BN, you were already there. That's right. So you're already already driving to Fubo. So So I'm just saying the incremental is that Peruvian person. Yeah. And I don't know that a lot of it doesn't matter, but you do get to see Messi as who's your background today um, play for Argentina. You do. And Neymar and co play for Brazil. There's a couple of games, but I don't know, whatever. What do you think they spend like 15 million bucks or whatever may have. I guess well, it was it, more than they spent on Balto or whatever that but, company's name. But, but the funny thing, Brandon, is these are rights that if there was real viewership, like if this was a big number of viewers, who didn't buy them? Fubo didn't, sorry, um, Telemundo didn't buy this. Univision didn't buy this. Paramount, which has been buying all of the Latin American rights and all the soccer rights. They just bought Series A yeah. as well. Like Paramount's been buying lots of rights. ESPN Plus is buying lots of soccer rights or football rights overseas. All of these companies passed and Fubo's the one who wins. And from what I can tell from talking to people, it's because the viewership of this is just not that significant. If you go back to it's prior not, it's, World it's, Cups. It's, it's not that wide. I think they're going with, I don't know, the the theory that to to build a, you know, a subscription bundle, you appeal to um, niche audiences and you capture sure. those niches and build off of that. Like that same thing that we've discussed for some of the streaming services. I mean, does it matter at the end of the day? Probably not. <laughs> this isn't no. significant at all. It's bullshit. I don't know what the stock reaction was. It probably went is, up like 20%. Stock is up a billion dollars of value on a $15 Today? million dollar con- billion dollars. Yeah. It's okay. It was up a billion dollars this morning. Okay. Well, so that's stupid. I know that's what the world we live in of wall street bets and Reddit. Um, let's move on to a battle. That's actually really interesting and, and really has us thinking a lot. So Alex Sherman tweets out this scoop has everything that begins with the letter F Fox, FanDuel, fastball, flutter, and filings, but not uh, Fubo. A, <laughs> no, no Fubo. That, no Fubo. Uh, Fox files lawsuit against flutter over FanDuel ownership. Uh, and so what's what's interesting here is that uh, FanDuel, Flutter, bought a large chunk of their business back from a bunch of owners, including KKR and others, in December of last year. That transaction was called Fastball. Fox has been very public that they believe they can sell, sorry, that they can buy an incremental 18% in FanDuel at that December valuation um, starting in summer, July, I think, 2021. 
The Flutter team believes that that is incorrect and it has to be a fair market value at the time of that uh, option can be triggered. Fox says it's black and white. The Flutter team says that's an incorrect read. It's gone to, you know, it's going to a mediator or an arbitrator now. But the, the thing that we're thinking about, Brandon, or the thing that we keep talking about is, is this a larger play? Like, is there something bigger going on here? Like, is it, we've always, you know, you, you we've all been talking about like the, the content and sports betting sort of coming together. So is this maybe the first step towards Fox being part of FanDuel? FanDuel's being talked about having an IPO. You know, we've always thought that Fox News should really belong with News Corp. Like, just makes you wonder whether there's something bigger if there, if there, going if on. Some here. pieces are going to get moved around. Is, yeah, is like, what you're saying? I, it, just w- once you go into a battle like this, court filings, legal battle, big discrepancy. Is there a lar- Is there a simpler way to fix all of this rather than go through a multi? Who knows? I don't know how long this takes to play out in the court system and how many how or in through the arbitrator and what the process is if they disagree. But I, I just I just can't help but your, wonder whether they're is your suggestion that FanDuel buy FS1 or something? What if I mean what if Fox mm-hmm. sp- split up into two parts? Fox News and Fox Business Channel went over to News Corp, the news part of the Which company. I think makes sense anyway. Right. Yeah. And what if the sports assets, um, TV network, FS1 all merged into FanDuel and you created a separate public company. We've been talking, well, we've been talking about ESPN. We've been talking about ESPN being a separate company now that it's got all these sports rights. What if Fox and and, and that, that might be the first step towards merging an ESPN with a DraftKings or combining it or something like maybe the idea is that sports media needs to combine in a very big way with sports betting, especially as all this legalization, I know it's still slow and, the plans are all screwed up like you're talking about. And but we've like- seen, by the way, we've seen this integration at the RSN level with Sinclair essentially, I don't know if you want to say buying because they got like that ownership basically for free as part of a larger deal. But you're, you're seeing um, sports TV come together um, with sports betting. So now, maybe here's that's the problem. a but Here's the problem. But here's the problem. Flutter right now is not a U.S. company, so you have to get FanDuel, which is a U.S. company, separated. So you mm-hmm. have to have that. And then two, and I don't know, Walt, if you have I'm, any thoughts on this. I'm sure the like, investors in Flutter would love that, though, well, because, I was, dude, FanDuel is beating DraftKings in most markets, would probably by itself have a be at a nice premium to – um, DraftKings valuation, which some of the parts is going to is going to lift it. So, the only problem I run into is with the FCC, because assuming the Fox TV stations are in there as part mm-hmm. of this, which have all the which have all the sports content, would the FCC allow a sports betting company to own a TV network and station group? Like, well, I know it's not technically let's, illegal. Let's go to the FCC expert himself, Walter Pisick. <laughs> what see do you why think? That would be an issue. I mean. Everything's public interest stuff. So I don't know if our country seems to be fine with um, legalizing gambling and marijuana and all these other things. Why is the FCC all of a sudden going to step in in terms of this ownership? They're considered real companies, right? And it's Look, especially Democrat. And they're U.S. based. so they, they would be. What's the issue? 
Look, that, that we, we it absolutely may not be. I get, yeah. I, I just think from, from in, in my conversations this week, that's just something that people sort of have raised is like, would the FCC bless something? Because it's just sort of unusual to have a broadcast network and station group owned by a sports betting company. Again, nothing yeah, illegal. I'm sure, I'm sure there would be public interest filings by, um, you know, people that are against gambling, Gamblers Anonymous, whatever it is. But um, that didn't seem that doesn't seem to be an issue with the legalizations that are occurring across our country. No, but you'd obviously have TV stations in states where gambling is not legal, and that company that sure. is based on it is owning the TV station in your market. So it's just a little weird, but again, nothing. Yeah, and look, you never know. You know, yeah. let, let's look at the C-band auction. You had one senator from Louisiana basically throw a wrench in the work, so you can never know what can happen in <laughs> with politics. Let's talk about a lot of favorite. lobbying. Uh, We're talking about that. talking. <laughs> Talking about talking, um, this is from Katie Roof. Who goes <laughs> scoop. Twitter held talks to acquire Clubhouse at about four billion dollars prior to the potential fundraise at that price. Which is going? The fundraise is going on now. We don't know exactly when these talks occurred, but I think it's interesting because we we talk about the effort that Twitter has been putting into spaces and how quickly they're moving with it, how they believe having the social graph is such an asset to winning um, in this space. And yet they were thinking about going out and buying Clubhouse. What do you guys think? Well, I had a very a dilemma. You know, I like to troll on Twitter. Um, I, and I like to we know that. On, you, like, you like to troll everywhere. Well, and that is true. Not just on Twitter, but don't we I all? was really debating like doing like one of those troll tweets and they didn't take it, the $4 billion, But then, you know, you always have these kind of moments in time, like Instagram. Everyone was, you know, shitting on Facebook for buying Instagram for, for, a, for, for a billion dollars. Um, or uh, I think Rich will bring up Snap and what was the number Snap Three was billion. offered? Three and what's the market cap now? Oh, like 90. 90. <laughs> but, so, but Walt, I want to stop. I don't want to go into that time capsule of like saying, like, you fucking idiots, how did you not take the four billion? <laughs> right. <laughs> because I guess there's a chance that it could take off. Uh, you know, well, I'm still please. skeptical about, you know, uh, look, I, I, I think so much of this though. And again, I don't fault them for looking. I think Twitter should look at everything. I think all companies should look at everything. Well, that's and not it, what the story, Rich. The story was they bid four Bs. <laughs> that's not looking. That's bidding. Well, but but the issue is, I think Twitter still has real regret for not buying Instagram. Like I think they still look at it as they screwed up. They had that opportunity. They didn't do it. They let Facebook take it. And Jack has talked pretty openly about that being a real mistake that pictures were such a part. I mean, remember people used to share pictures pretty yeah. actively into their, into their Twitter feeds and then it got cut off. But like, that was a big thing for a while. And I, I think this is somewhat like almost trying to make sure that they don't miss something. And if they could cement their dominance in audio. So they believe, they believe they definitely believe in the format though. If they're willing, right. I don't know what, what that would be. I'm like 6% dilution or whatever, something like that. Um, but look, there could be fair value of X, and then there's their foreclosure value for Twitter. Yes, right? the synergy, exactly. The synergy for them is maybe paying up for that. So I'm not right. questioning Twitter's um, right. willingness. You're questioning why I'm wouldn't Clubhouse take side. it? 
Yeah, four billion is a big number for how long has this company been in existence? Two years, a year, it is. year and a half. And I think there's still a lot of risks um, in terms of them getting displaced, but clearly, obviously, Paul like believes in it, I mean, like as the founder. But clearly, Andreessen is in this for a much bigger play than that, given the amount of time that they're putting into this. Um, into this platform i mean so when i take so when i take a big check and then get like an appraisal value like you know whatever five years from now like get a writer first refusal give them a lot of money let these guys become billionaires um and then still have some additional upside to and you know there's got to be a way to structure that deal but whatever where, where i struggle is just how is this going to monetize like i still can't really figure out i think it's easy know, it if if the format works you uh like you have microtransactions. I want to pay to listen yeah, to. There's lots of ways to monetize. Tons and tons of ways. Sponsorship, obviously. Yeah, sure. It, there's there's a there's a bunch of ways. You, you could have easily put subscriptions onto this as well. Um, and now, how big that monetization is going to be is another question. And again, whether like you guys have questioned a lot, like does this format even matter or is it just a feature so right. I, I would have, i would have taken the four billion I know, I know you're itching to say purpose-driven brandon so does purpose-driven matter relative <laughs> to being a feature on twitter but oh, by the way speak, I, I was noticing that uh, people were periscoping um this past week i thought they shut it down why am i still getting alerts of, of periscopes that are happening wasn't it supposed i think to be you're shut down? i think you're getting tw- i think it's twitter lives it's not periscopes it looks like it's getting brand. I'll screenshot it and tweet screenshot it. it. Yeah, because well, no, yeah. like, why don't you just like, tw- tweet it at Kayvon and say what's going on? You yeah, should totally do that. <laughs> just tweet it at Kayvon. Okay. Um, okay. Let's go to f- another four billion dollar valuation, Brandon. I think this sort of surprised you. Yeah, the speed is... at which Patreon has moved from, uh, you know, I guess that's in what speed. six months. Six months. It's gone mm-hmm. from a one billion to four billion dollar company. So very similar to Clubhouse, which went from a one billion dollar to a four billion dollar company in six in six months. Um, but the, hold as on, well. the difference is there's that May 2013 launch down there. So there was a, right. there's no, there's six by years before that. The, the acceleration in private market valuations over the last several months is something that we've noticed in our ventures business as well. I know StockX, um, like uh, information came out about their next round. They moved up from like, I don't know, something like two and a half to three and a half billion dollar valuation in two or three months. Things are, things are moving very, very rapidly in, term, in terms of valuations. Um, well, which, I, I also as think a venture investor is something we got to be mindful of. Yeah, but look, I also think that some of this is, you know, when you talk about sort of Clubhouse and Patreon, like, I think, you know, you look at what happened to Roblox. I mean, remember Roblox was what, a $4 billion company and now it's a right. and $50 they were- billion dollar company or where is it today? I mean, like the valuations have moved pretty dramatically in the year, this year, but it's in categories that are exploding. Creator economy, yep. gaming infrastructure. Very true. Um, you know, Unity, think about sort of the, you know, the, the software side of this, like the SaaS, you know, it's just, there are certain sectors that are literally exploding and where investors can't get enough of, where we've got other things that, you know, 
look at sectors that are still struggling. Like, you know, if you think about like BuzzFeed and sort of the digital media world has not had that same type of excitement to it. Vice is still struggling. Like these are businesses that just don't have that sort of ability. All, all, all the SPAC candidates are what you're talking about. Well, I'm the just, that, I'm just saying that there's a wide. Di- actually going to SPAC. I feel like for each of those uh, digital publishing companies, we've uh, heard like, I'm just was trying to play, balance it out that it's not everything. Under, under, it's in categories yeah. that are really exciting. Totally agree with you. Okay, let's move on. Our numbers uh, are also growing really quickly. This is from The Wrap. Um, so yesterday afternoon, Netflix and Sony inked a multi-year exclusive first look pay window licensing deal in the U.S. for theatrically released Sony feature films starting in 2022. This is interesting because these are rights that were owned by stars. And so you know, essentially seven, eight months after a movie came out in theaters, a Sony movie like Spider-Man or Venom would show up on stars and it would spend, you know, 18 months and then it would go through, would disappear, go to network TV or cable network, and then it would go back to stars for its second window. And so like in and out over the course of seven plus years, these Sony movies would appear on, on, on stars and they would get paid, you know, a couple hundred million dollars if movies did really well. Well, now those movies are coming to Netflix, but what's interesting is that Sony has a bunch of the Marvel rights. So Spider-Man, Venom, these are Marvel kind of separate content universe, but it's in that overall Marvel world. And so it's surprising that Disney lost. You know, I just think it's amazing that Disney didn't do it. Obviously, they did though, right, Rich? I mean, again, we don't know the specifics. I'm sure Disney's not going to comment publicly. Because it makes sense for them because you can tie Marvel all the way up um, and have the whole universe, number one. Number two is they're trying to build out out Star, you know, abroad, Hulu here, add more general entertainment, non-franchise, not their franchise-related content. It it seems like it would have been perfect for them. And look, remember, this is only a pay one deal. So this is just the pay one window. So this is like an 18 month window that Netflix bought. We think, and again, it may be, it's a little hard to know because I'm not sure the window is going to look like it has historically. There may be a slightly shorter window um, as as sort of home video gets displaced, but it it appears that Netflix paid at least three X what stars was paying for less rights than what stars was paying for. And so it really shows Netflix wants movies. They bid very aggressively against Disney. I'm a little surprised that Disney lost given the importance of it. Maybe Disney's going to come out and try to buy pay two or something else or be creative in some other way, but it's just surprising. And I think it also shows that, you know, Netflix still values catalog and, you know, it's funny. I, if, if it really is a $600 million annual paycheck to Netflix or bill to Netflix, you can say that's an astronomical number. On the flip side, you could say- Compared to the past, yeah. Yes, but on the flip which, side, which you could say of, out of $20 billion, does it really matter? Which part of Marvel is this? Is this the X-Men? Yeah, X-Men, Spider-Man. No, no, Look. X-Men is Fox. X-Men is Fox. Oh, you're right. X-Men is so Fox. So which part X-Men of Marvel is, Fox. is this then? So this is Spider-Man. So this is the Spider-Man universe. Venom, Spider-Man- all the animated Spider-Man stuff, all of that falls right. into this. Okay. The, the real story here is, I, I think really Sony. Sorry for the Marvel fans. Maybe if X-Men, if they were going to try and cross the universes into well, Marvel universe, which there was some indication that there might've been that with WandaVision, although that was kind of a. They have X-Men though, from the Fox deal. I forgot but they, that. It's spread out. 
at least in trying to view it, it's, it's at multiple locations at the moment. It's not all on D+, if you want to watch the full X-Men from start to finish. so Right, because some of the X-Men is Fox that went through the HBO output deal. Right. Which won't revert back until 2023, which is sort of the, you know, the, the, the story here, honestly, is Sony wants to create a cinematic universe out of Spider-Man. That is their goal. Just like DC is trying to reinvent DC and really build that. Everyone wants to be Marvel or, you know, Disney's Marvel. And so it'll be interesting if Sony really can get this going and make something really happen. Obviously, that works out very well for Netflix as part of this pay one deal because they'll have those movie rights. We'll see. Um, I, I think the interesting aspect of this overall is just while we've got all of these legacy media companies trying to launch streaming services and blowing up their earnings in order to do it. Here's Sony as a pure arms dealer making just mind boggling amounts of money, just making their movies and selling them and letting everyone else go to war with Netflix. I just wonder, we're going to look back in a few years and go, hey, Sony's strategy wasn't so dumb. Like just being an arms dealer is pretty profitable when you have a bunch of very well capitalized companies who are willing to overspend. No, no doubt. Um, let's move on to a very complicated topic right now, Walt, is Uh-oh. broadband infrastructure. Well, this has to do with the um, the infrastructure proposal. I don't know what the number is, $2 trillion, something like that. But within that um, is $100 billion for broadband. This is a little old. We didn't talk about it last week because there weren't a lot of details at the time. So we figured we'd give it a week to kind of let it fester and see if it marinate 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 um no there's still no details so the the tweet that we have for our podcast listeners is from um commissioner brendan carr saying president biden just unveiled a 100 billion dollar broadband infrastructure plan that is a roadmap for waste fraud and abuse it's not building back better it's barreling towards a broadband blunder um but in the article he basically highlights the fact that there are several items um, that are already dedicated to trying to bring broadband to people, whether they're in rural or, or in urban environments. You have the RDOF, R-D-O-F thing that was just happening where Starlink is going to be um, subsidized to bring internet to people as well as any other number of companies. That's $9 billion. There's going to be a second version of that, RDOF2, where AT&T and CenturyLink will probably get dollars to bring um, broadband to rural there's a three billion dollars that was that was given to the FCC or the FCC allocated earlier this year to subsidize um, broadband. Congress earlier this year allocated seven billion dollars for broadband. There's another nine billion dollars for rural. So if you add up all of these things that you can look at, it's forty billion dollars. So then on, on top of the hundred, no, no, before the hundred. So the question, saying, there's right, no one so top of plus- that. That plan has not been approved, Rich. The, the forty billion is available. There's, it's unclear how much, if any, has been spent. Most of that, if not all of it, has not been spent, right? So you've got $40 billion already. The question is, do you put, if you're going to put $100 billion on top of that 40, what's it going to go to? And, and the problem that we're trying to solve is getting, making sure that everyone has good internet. And how do you define that? And there's ways to do that via regulation. I think we continue to believe that rate regulation you know this is the net neutrality title to like we don't think that it's going to go down the path even under the current administration that there will be rate regulation however the fcc could uh, force or regulate 
the broadband providers from saying, you need to have a low tier bucket because part of the marketing plan of a charter or a Comcast is get people, get ARPUs up, get people buying faster speeds and then eliminate the, some of the lower buckets. Um, so they maybe there would be legislation to force broadband providers to have a lower tier bucket that's available. That's, that's but I would in- push back on that and just say, well, Comcast offers internet essentials. I think it's $10 a month for 50 down and five up. Now you have to meet obviously certain income uh, requirements, but that, that came, Charter out, that does came too. out of the NBCU deal, right? So they well, were no, no, and they got hazed. forced into it. Yes, but they also got hazed over the last six or nine months. I forget exactly when it was, but there was a lot of pressure from a lot of college students. And there was a lot of pushback saying 25 meg service is a joke. You've got to raise the speeds. And so all these companies have been raising the speeds of those low, those lower tier plans or cheaper plans for, for low income households. And so you're now at 50 down and five up. And well, you know, what so we've I think- identified on this podcast is whether five up is enough. Um, everyone it's kind of suffered and like, you know, trying to, you have students that are trying to connect to school that don't, five that's not so forget about even low income. Is that if you're in a monopoly area and Comcast is giving you whatever 500 down and they're only giving you five up, forget about low income. Is that enough to keep our country competitive on, on the global to have people doing developments or having applications that work at their homes? And should there be a requirement? Um, to have a minimum upload speed of 25 or 50. Can I I ask you, Walt, just out of here, I know obviously you don't get symmetrical from from cable, um, from broadband ever. Like how how much can they push on the upload? Because I I have- um, What's allocation? I don't know. Like it's allocation, they've 400 down and like my up is like 15 uh, for, (laughs) for some reason. I don't. I mean, it's allocation of how much you want to allocate um, down versus up, and it's capital investments that they can make. They can obviously increase those upload speeds, but it's going to cost money, and it's also could take away from the maximum um, download speeds that you have that you have available to you. Um, but look, let's get back to the the hundred billion dollars. Remember that the Democrats are in charge, and um, like politicians try and support the people that vote for them. So. You know, we already have a bunch of money funding um, rural in red states. If you assume that that hundred billion is probably going to be more heavily weighted towards um, blue states, like what? And there's there the only thing that we that we can approximate this to is there's um, there's a Democrats like competition, right? There's a bill by um, Klobuchar and Clyburn that's been proposed. It has a ninety-seven billion dollar price tag. So maybe if you look at that, even in that bill. There's no specifics. And the Biden administration has said, like, we don't want to just give subsidies out. We need a long-term plan. So if you have a, if you have a, as the Klobuchar Clyburn bill says, a, you know, a competitive bidding, 75% of that hundred billion is um, a competitive bidding. Competitive bidding for what? Am I bidding to get a subsidy to build a competitive offering in a city? And like, are we going to give this money to the cities themselves to build Metro broadband. Cause that's been tried before unsuccessfully. So. Right. Or are you going to fund a new competitor to Comcast and Verizon in Philadelphia and say, go build a third competitive network and dig up the streets. And I mean, that sounds like a multi-year disaster as well. I just don't, it's, it'll be interesting to see what details emerge and like how this helps. And again, on the rural side, it's been 
well-funded. I mean, there's plenty of ways for um, even electric utility co-ops to to build broadband to people's homes. So, but look, th- these are there are real issues in the cities. There, you know, there are you know students in lower income areas that forget about whether they're delivering you twenty five by five for ten dollars. What if there's no internet in that building, in that low income? Meaning, area? it's just simply not wired. In the it's MBA. just not there. Because my wife works on a program, and 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 it's what they're using is T-Mobile hotspots that they're paying for, by the way, for the hardware as well as the monthly fee, and and they're delivering T-Mobile hotspots into an apartment um, in lower income areas in New York, in New York Metro, so that simply because so Charter students, or Verizon haven't wired the buildings, it's just not available, and that's how you can get it to these, um, you know, to these people that need it. So there's, I think there's a there's a number of different different issues. I just don't, and there's regulation ways to do it. There's subsidy ways to do it. If they don't want to do subsidies, they want it to be private built. Like how how exactly is that done? We look well, forward. Well, to- let's let's come back full circle to what the fear for broadband stocks is. The fear obviously is rate regulation, but it's a little hard well, thinking about what you just said. It's it's hard to imagine in encouraging people to spend money and build if you're going to regulate the rate. I just don't think that's a realistic thing for so many different ways. Like again, maybe. A very far left um, chairman is selected to run the FCC. I, I just, I don't, it doesn't seem like there's a path for that to happen. Okay, that's fine. But like, what if they somehow give $50 billion to seed competition? That still wouldn't be good for cable companies. I don't, again, we have to see what it's going to look like. If it's giving it to the cities, I don't think cable companies have a lot to worry about in terms of cities building it out. Is it, if it's somehow promoting some competition for overbuild? We'll see. Like you can't rule that out as a right. potential risk. Let's move on to uh, AT and T. So Warner Media CEO Jason Kylar uh, was on Peter Kafka's podcast this week, and it's funny. Peter talks about he's walking back, and he says sort of the HBO Max streaming plan. Um, he talks about HBO Max ad plans um, when Fox, NBC movies leave HBO Max, sports TV, CNN. Talks about a bunch of different things, but I think what Peter is sort of getting at first is, you know, the plan is changing. So for 2021, actually, it started changing again, shall we say? Yeah, I think that's it. So (laughs) in December of 2020, AT&T WarnerMedia came out with the big news that Wonder Woman was going, not only was going to be in theaters, but you could also watch it on HBO Max uh, at no incremental cost. And this past weekend, Godzilla vs. Kong actually did very well in U.S. theaters, as well as, as we have up on the screen, it was the number one app on iOS. So people were clearly downloading HBO Max, you know, either activating their account or signing up. And so, you know, no cost. Everybody was winning. Look, the consumer was given choice and people were happy. That's the good news. The consumer was winning. HBO was winning. And the theaters were winning. In this case, the yeah, consumer be didn't clear. really win because that was not a good movie. <laughs> well, that was okay, just not so a good movie. seems to be a well, pattern for these releases. <laughs> well, no, but but I but but guys, actually, that is actually the most important thing to keep in mind is that in the old model, if you had put these movies out in the theaters only first for the old seventy-five to ninety days, then did home video, and then waited three or four months to be on HBO. And these movies actually were garbage the way you just talked about. And I think a lot of people felt that way about Wonder Woman, that it was pretty disappointing too. These would have been write-offs. These would have been very big financial losses. Whereas in SVOD, they're driving subs. 
They're getting people to be happier about the service. They're giving you pricing power, like all the reasons why you want to build an SVOD business and why SVOD economics trump, you know, kind of traditional theatrical release window economics, which is what Netflix knows, is what HBO is starting to figure out and realize. And so the math really works. But what go back to Peter Kafka's tweet, what he's sort of highlighting is starting in 22, movies are going to be uh, big movies like The Batman are going to be exclusively in theaters for sounds like 45 days, and then they're going to go to HBO Max. And so, you know, he's saying things are sort of reverting. He's part right because, yes, they're going back to theaters exclusively for a short period of time. But the big change is it doesn't sound like movies are going to DVD anymore right after they go to theaters. Like it sounds like HBO Max is the new second window. And and that's a pretty big deal. I mean, that's basically Warner Media basically saying, the future is not DVD sales. The future is not transactions. We are focused on getting subs and 45 days will become 30 days, will become 17 days. We'll eventually, Brandon, I think to your, what you said before, eventually gets to day and date. Like we're, yep. it may take two years, but the handwriting some stuff is will obvious. still be day and date. It, the tent poles will not, but everything else will probably. I, I got one word. I'm sitting here at City Field in my background. Boo. You, you had it. Day and date, it worked. Your subs went up, and now you're and now going back and, and making someone wait 45 days. Boo! Well, just stick with it, give the consumer um, the choice. Well, look, you've got you know, um, you've got more and more movies are going to come out day and date from other studios, right? I mean, Netflix is clearly pushing forward, and if the theaters don't want to show it, so be it. A lot of theaters are going to close too. Like theater chains are not going to survive with shortened windows and more movies going direct. So the studios may be forced to get back to what you want, Walt, because the theatrical business, after an initial sort of rush, as everyone gets excited to get out of their home again later this year into the fall, as Brandon was talking about with like concerts in the fall, like I'm sure movies are going to see a surge as well for a short period of time. But my guess is the 2022 and 2023 picture it's going to force studios' hands. It's just Rich, a in, this, of time. in this particular case, they did a great job at hyping what was not a good movie. Had I gone yeah. to the theater, I would have been not very happy about um, wasting my time to go to see that. In this case, to your point, I watched it, and it was it wasn't great, but whatever. I, I'm, I'm getting the subscription anyway. Had it been had I had to wait 45 days for that, I just wouldn't have watched it, and it wouldn't have been a, a, a there would have been no interaction between me and that app. In that particular, um, in that particular case, and by the way, for the movies that are going to be the good ones that I am going to want to see in the theater, whether it's the same day or a week later, I'm going to the theater either way. Right. So, like, give me the choice. Like, that's the, just, yeah, that's the whole. Well, you made the I right mean, choice from the, the from the get go, and then you flip flop back. Like, that, that look, that's boom. if you listen to if you listen boom. to Netflix, that is their view: is people who boom. want to see in the theaters will go. Okay. Yeah. Bad choice. Sorry. Bad I choice. I don't think you need Reed Hastings level genius to understand that. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I don't need the exact. Thank you, Brandon. I don't need the confirmation of Reed <laughs> my own mind that I'm against this decision. Sorry, you flip flop. Brandon back and shouldn't have done it. Brandon, I know you love the collision of commerce and and media. Why don't you read this one? Uh, this is from Alex Heath. Snap is planning a commerce push with a new feature that will scan your photos in the memories part of Snapchat and identify clothing for you to buy. It quietly bought an app called Screenshop last fall to help make it happen. Well, 
That's awesome. A, a, utilizing AI to understand <laughs> your style and then targeting the right clothing to you. It's, it's actually it's, shocking uh, that it hasn't already existed, that it took until now for something like this to, to, to pop up. Well, I just, I also just think it's like, this just shows how snap, which was criticized for a long time for like not iterating and not doing stuff like they are moving so fast right now. They've made like seven or eight acquisitions in the past year, all small, like all small startups, but they are, they are really focused. The snap map is now bottom left of the app. They really are leaning into to AI and AR in a way that nobody else really is. I mean, Facebook talks a lot about VR and AR. Apple's talking about doing something at some point. You know, we keep waiting for like what that product's going to look like. But Snap has just been moving very visibly to do stuff. I downloaded that app, the, the one that they bought, Brandon, because you can still download it from the and app store. And it actually works pretty well. Like, you know, it literally scanned my pictures. It actually picked up a picture of my daughter. It was like from a couple of days ago and was showing all the things that I know she would buy based on what she was wearing. It was really, it's really well done. I think it's going to be interesting to see it built into Snap, especially as they try to bring in more advertisers. Enabling commerce, obviously huge objective for them. Virtual try-on is another thing. Um, that that we've seen out of them. Yeah, they're moving fast on product. They're moving fast on acquisitions. And, you know, well, and, they, and they probably the stand to benefit the most right from the reopening of all the I mean, maybe Twitter, I guess, is the other one that really does. But there's only one of the biggest beneficiaries of people getting out again. They should be. Yeah. And that should help Snap Map really take off. Um, Joe is chiming in. What about using it for virtual wedding venue viewing? <laughs> <laughs> There is Zoom for that. I've oh, is done there a little Zoom? bit of that? Yeah. Okay, let's move on to uh, Comscope, Walt. Comscope is an equipment vendor. They, you may not remember this, but they bought Aris a while back. Um, so that which Aris got them many things, but one of it was the set top box and broadband modem business. Um, and this tweet highlights the fact that um, Comscope plans to spin off its home networks business, which saw sales decline 30% in 2020 to $2.36 billion. Clearly not a surprise that um, people aren't getting set-top boxes, even the design in the house is changing. And, um, you know, we've talked about the fact that, you know, with Roku, Apple TV, and kind of that battle, cable did have an opportunity to continue to own the home and, and develop more. And I think Comcast made a play at that, but it just obviously... I don't think it's really resonating. So like, I'm not sure this is a spinoff. I'm not sure who's going to really want to own this thing. Like I remember- This is a spinoff into a separate public company. Yeah. I mean, you sometimes you you remember things like paging, which was a dead business. The paging was a recurring revenue business. You could kind of PE it, run off mm-hmm. some, some recurring revenue. This is like, who's buying buy? And then on the flip side, like if you're Comcast or Charter, where you had this company kind of beholden to you because you were- you know, doing infrastructure purchases from them as well, and maybe getting some wireless hotspots. Now it's a separate CPE business. Like, why would you put a nickel of development into that? So if Comcast, you know, is buying boxes from them or Charter wants to do their world box or something like that, you're dealing with a company that is declining revenue and you want them to develop that going forward. It just, to me, it sounds, sounds like Comscope doesn't want it as a valuation overhang for their core they had a ceo change in october the the last guy should have punted this like four years ago or sold it to someone when when maybe you sell it to someone else and they develop something more into it you know like same thing with remember t-mobile i thought that the t-mobile box was going to integrate lte and same but cable had an opportunity to like move your box further along so that 
like, yeah, you're still doing cable, but you're getting monthly fees off of those rentals. You can, you can do all these things that like Alexa or other stuff. They're just, wait, here's my cable box in Connecticut. This is it. It's called Chromecast. uh, Yeah. Okay. That's my cable box and and it does everything. And it's literally this big. I don't get it. Sign, it's, look, it's a sign of the times, but it'll be amazing to see how this thing trades and like what <laughs> happens to this business. But like, I don't, how is this good for Comcast and Charter? It's a separate company. You could at well, least- but, but, but don't you think Comcast and Charter, I mean, look, they've all basically acknowledged this business is dying. They're not, I mean, they don't even care if they lose subscribers anymore. I mean, I think, I mean, Comcast sure. is talking about losing 2 million subscribers this year to their video business. Like, these companies are giving up. Like they realize that like the future is yeah, streaming. I mean, we talked it's about just, this last week with T-Mobile, right? And T-Mobile switching to YouTube TV. Verizon basically is doing that. They even put a fucking nickel into the Fios TV well, app. So like this conversation, I didn't even expect it to exactly, but it, it flows perfectly into actually our last tweet for nice. the week, which is actually, I'm going to bring it up because it, it, it really does flow perfectly. Dun, dun, dun. We've got the Smartless podcast, which if you've never listened, it's actually really funny. It's Jason Bateman, Sean Hayes, Will Arnett, obviously three actors. Jason Bateman, he just he looks amazing. Dude, it's like seventy. I don't know, but it's really the the three of them together. Like thirty, I know it's amazing. (laughs) The the three of them actually are really funny. Um, But they were interviewing Ted Sarandos this week, and you'll hear the question in the setup. But it actually plays very well into what you were just talking about, Walt, in terms of the future of the. The, the TV business for, for cable and satellite companies. So let's listen um, to them interview Ted for a second. Okay. Back to my up. kind of original thing. So in your opinion, how long do you think the network system can sustain itself before what happens? Before, I don't know, like what, what do you think about that? I think the inevitable thing that happens is everyone starts bringing their original stuff to their streaming services that means they're not going to put it on the network and it's just going to be right. a race to the bottom. It's going to be sports and news. Uh, yeah. And you know, and you saw Amazon bought Thursday night football or is buying Thursday night football. Yeah, like, so what does that gonna, mean? Like, so when I, so NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox, what's going to happen to those channels and those networks? I don't know. I mean, what a then good, we have to go. Okay. Good night, everybody. <laughs> uh, one way to think about it is if you watch, I'm a, uh, I'm a big fan of, uh, we, we watch a lot of home and garden TV in our house. I'm a, very embarrassed by the number of Same. hours we spend Same. doing this. Wow. But, uh, but if you watch it right now, you see they just launched their own service called Discovery Plus. That's yes. a little pitch for them. And they have turned their network into a Barker channel for that service. They're basically every minute you watch a Discovery Network on TV, they're saying, don't watch it here, watch it there. Yeah. The one blessing... So uh, to me, that just sort of shows that um, everyone acknowledges, even the cable network companies are acknowledging all the future is streaming. Like it's not about set top boxes and cable networks. I mean, the video business is going to, I think cord cutting in the back half of this year into 2022 is going to be just incredible in terms of the pace of change. Yeah. I mean, at at the beginning, he said networks will eventually starve their content for the streaming services. And basically, that already is happening. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it's starting with sports. I mean, the fact, I mean, the number two rated series, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, the number two rated series on all of television, right, is Thursday Night Football. I mean, behind Sunday Night Football. So Thursday Night Football is going to Amazon. It's obviously a couple of years away, but, you know, the handwriting is on the wall for where this yep. is going. Well, anyway, it's the it's the end, indeed. 
Well, it is the end. So should we play the end? <laughs> I guess so. It feels like that's if, like if the you perfect could figure segue. out how to, again, Rich is not. Uh, well, yeah, I got it. You're a slow had, trigger finger, Rich. I just had a very dumb realization, Brandon. City Field, given all the problems that we have for, with Citibank as our as our bank for our company. Oh, God. Yeah. I don't like that connection. That's a bad yeah. moment. <laughs> is that turning you off to the... Is this the end of Maybe your Mets fandom? Oh, the city? connection to City. City is the word. Can we rebrand the stadium, please? <laughs> I wish. Chase? Just, is there a Chase Field already? Um, there is a Chase Field. I think Arizona is Chase Field. And there's a Chase Arena, the new one in San Francisco. City wanted to, to charge me seven dollars to to just send me the pin for my the card. I know. By the way, I noticed another like charge for sending wires in our account. Come on, City. It was like forty dollars or something. Terrible. That's episode fifty-one. Everyone, have a great weekend. Take care. Desperate.